Chapter 18 It was break time for Tim Driscoll. Glancing through the cabin window, he saw the captain doing something odd. A small wooden box had been around the boat for ages. It must be important to him, Tim had a long thought, because he takes it home every night. Whenever I've passed by it, except for a few carrot and lettuce shreds, it's seemed empty. Now holding the box between his knees, Bailey was prying it open with a screwdriver. Then he stuffed something inside. Tim couldn't see what, in fact, couldn't see anything. He then nailed it shut and appeared to be talking to it. What in heck is going on? Has he gone off his damn rocker? Bailey put the box in its usual place and hurried onto the deck. Gazing at the birds atop the cabin, he began climbing toward them. By now, the other crew members were watching. One bird took off, and he grabbed for the other, barely missing it. As the birds hightailed it away from the boat, he watched them intently until they were out of sight. As he climbed down to the deck, the crewmen were silent, pretending to be busy. What are you staring at? he growled. Get back to work! He went inside the cabin. Tim turned to a companion. He's done some pretty weird things lately, man. Think the pressure's getting to him? Looks like it, said the other. Tim shook his head, making a mental note of what had happened. Never having examined the box up close, he decided he would if he got the chance. Shortly, another boat slid alongside. Vanity's crew was used to that by now. It was Alkin too, skippered by Ron Hogan, Bailey's old adversary. He's decided to drop in, thought Tim, hoping to catch our captain off guard. Bailey hadn't seen him for a couple of weeks. No doubt here, thought Bailey, for another look at the boat. He shut down the engines and strode onto the deck. Greetings, stranger, he said. How's crabbin? He chuckled. Glancing about, Hogan boarded without a smile. He leaned back against a railing and crossed his arms. Coffee, said Bailey, grinning. Or something stronger? Whatever you want, we've got it. Coffee's fine, said Hogan. Tim, make us a new pot and make it strong. Aye, aye, Captain, said Tim. Ducking inside, he went toward the galley in the forward cabin. On the way, he saw the small crate near the steering wheel. He stopped to look at it. Help us, he heard in a shrill voice. We're prisoners. Bewildered, he listened. The voice came again. We're invisible and being held against our will. Furious, with Calamar in hand, Gilan leaned against a cage's slats, gazing at this new human. Weak, and after innumerable threats by Bailey, Till was afraid to talk to any human. Gilan had no such qualms. Astounded, Tim gazed about. Here, in the container! Tim stared at the box. Help us escape! Tim looked over his shoulder. Chatting with Hogan, the captain was facing the other way. Tim picked up the box. It was empty, as he'd always thought, but a bit heavier than expected. Tim, called Bailey from the deck. Captain Hogan will have cream and sugar. Putting the box down, Tim proceeded unsteadily down the companionway stairs to the galley. Reaching mechanically for the pot and coffee, he glanced back in the direction of the box. Concentrate, he told himself, and make the coffee. Steaming mugs in hand, he passed the helm on the way out and heard the voice again. Help us! We're held captive! Pushing the cabin door open, he handed the mugs to Bailey and Hogan. 
then stood by numbly as the two of them argued and baited each other, sipping hot coffee. Dumbfounded by what had happened, Tim drifted toward the door and slipped inside. Going to the box, he picked it up. Help us escape, he heard. I'm from a small race you can't see. Contact uh, Eric. A pause came, then soft murmuring. Eric Anthony, living in... More murmuring. It sounded like there might be two voices. Takitna, said the first. Tim, said Bailey from the doorway. You forgot the cream and... Tim turned toward him. Bailey's jovial smile turned instantly to a scowl. What are you doing? Put that back! Tim put the box down. The captain glanced at his guest, who was looking out to see. Stepping inside and shutting the door, Bailey glared at Tim. Get away from there! Come over here, now! Tim obeyed. What were you doing? asked Bailey gruffly. I, said Tim, struggling. You're fired. As soon as we get back to port, you'll be off this boat and never set foot on it again. Breathe a word of this, and I'll find you, and you'll be lucky if all I do is break every bone in your body. Bailey turned and went onto the deck. This coffee clutch has been fun, he told Hogan, but I'm afraid we'll have to cut it short. Putting down his mug, Hogan disembarked without a word. Alkin 2's engines rumbled in the wintry air, and soon the vessel was gone. Bailey went inside, took the box, and stuffed it into his red duffel bag. To the crew's surprise, he turned the boat around and set a course for home. Shaken, Tim went through the motions of his duties, Bailey keeping an eye on him at all times. I'm out of a job, he thought. What were those voices? The moment they docked, Bailey glared at him, saying nothing in front of the others. See you later, guys, said Tim, stepping off the boat. Where are you going? asked one, surprised he was leaving so early. Never mind, said Bailey, frowning. With vanity roaring out to sea, Tim walked up the street, more baffled than he'd ever been before. He kept hearing voices and remembering what he'd been told. Contact Eric Anthony in Takitna. Getting to his room, he sat for hours mulling things over, at times trying to forget what had happened, concerned about his sanity, mystified by all of it. The only thing substantial to hang on to was the part about Eric Anthony, in Takitna of all places. Finally, he decided, outrageous as it might seem, to try to contact this Eric if he existed. Picking up the phone, he called information. Lo and behold, there was an Eric Anthony in Takitna. He jotted down the number. Unbelievable, he thought, hanging up. What's going on? His hands trembling, he dialed the number, and it rang. Hello, said a male voice. I'm trying to contact uh, Eric Anthony, said Tim. He's not here, said the voice politely. I'm his roommate, Jack. He's at college. I can uh, give you his number. Hang on for a second while I look it up. Okay, said Tim, dazed. Jack came back with the number and Tim jotted it down. Thanks very much. Who's calling? asked Jack. You know, I may be wrong, but you sound like Tim Driscoll from my uncle's boat. I am, said Tim. Yeah, hi, Tim. We met last summer when I was visiting my uncle. You must have a distinctive voice. How do you know Eric? Tim hesitated. Someone mentioned his name. I wanted to ask him 
about college. I'm thinking of going. Okay, good for you. Yeah, give him a call. Tim hung up. He shook his head. Well, something's real about this. Eric Anthony. I've gone this far. Why not call him? He dialed the number, and it rang several times. Hello, said a man's voice. Is Eric Anthony there? I'm Eric. Who's calling? My name's Tim, and I'm calling... Well, you're going to find this hard to believe. Where are you calling from? The Kodiak. What's it about? Something that happened today, said Tim, getting braver. Something I can't explain. But your name was mentioned, and I thought I'd better call you. What happened? I work, um, worked on a fishing boat. We were out today. Jeremy Bailey's boat, interrupted Eric. Through Jack, he knew about his uncle. Yeah, how'd you know? Go ahead, what happened? Well, said Tim, I heard... He laughed nervously. <laughs> Believe me, this is gonna sound nuts. It is nuts. I was walking through the boat when I heard a voice. It may have been two voices, and it sounded like it. They were coming from a small box belonging to the captain. Jeremy Bailey. Yes. He's got Till. What? Tell me everything that happened. Tim did. I saw Bailey stuffing something into a box, he said in conclusion. But nothing was there. It's always been empty, as far as I could tell, and... I'd like to know what's going on. I don't know why there might have been two voices. The second one wasn't clear, but the one I heard most referred to us and we being held captive. I'll come right away. I'll explain when I get there. Where can I find you? Tim thought for a moment. Come to my room. My rooming house is in the center of Kodiak, which is a pretty small town. He gave the address. Bailey's a dangerous man. Could he recognize you? No. If it's at all possible, I'll be there tomorrow. First, Zhilin checked every nook and cranny of the cage for any means of escape. He found none. Then came his impassioned plea to the passing human who later picked up the cage. Soon thereafter, the bearded one dropped the cage into a huge container and closed it. Later, he opened it and threatened to injure Eric if they talked to a human again. He then apparently conveyed them away from the boat in the closed bag. Please don't talk to any more humans, said Till as they were carried along in darkness. Through Carlock's history of the affair, Gielan knew about Bailey's threats against Eric. Incensed by everything that had happened, but knowing how shattered Till was, Gielan reluctantly decided that for now he'd honor his wish. Remembering the calamar, Gielan pulled it out. On the mission two years earlier, Speckerin had communicated with him, both using their calamars, the magician initiating contact. Gielin tried communicating with Speckerin now. Nothing happened. He tried again and again, still with no luck. Though learning much at the Hanging Stones about his calamar, he had never initiated contact with Speckerin, and suspected it might be a magician who did so. If Tally had come with us... She might contact me through her toe ring. He had Tally's thin golden disc, her birth piece, as he did throughout the first quest. Thinking of her now, he brought it out and held it in his hand. Where are you from? asked Till. Concluding he was powerless to do anything to help their situation, Jalen decided to get to know Till. They were from vastly different backgrounds, 
Jilin from a distant forest, Till from the icy local territory. A woodland, far away, said Jilin. Our clan lives in a tree. A tree, said Till quietly. My clan fears heights of all sorts. As a result of his exile, discussing anything about home was painful. But eventually, Till talked about his family, Surrey, and his clan, describing the immense animals living with them, and how they were used for warmth, protection, and companionship. The land we live in is called Junali. Jilin told of flying and the home clans. In a short while, and under their appalling circumstances, the entrapped youths got to know each other as well as could be expected. I flew here with friends, said Jilin. One, a learned magician. Don't worry. They'll be here to help us escape. I've never flown, said Till. Eventually, exhausted, he fell asleep. But Jilin didn't, furious at himself for allowing this to happen. I grew too confident talking with the despicable human. How could I have done that? I underestimated his aggressiveness and quickness. I should have never been so close to him, but I never dreamed he'd capture me. I've been with humans many times when I was visible. Christopher, Nathan, Mr. Versteeg, and on La Solana. But never when invisible. That's no excuse. He shook his head. I made a big mistake, and Till and I are going to pay for it. After Tim's early departure that day, Bailey became more protective of the box than ever. When any of the crew came inside the cabin, he stood by the wheel, the red bag at his feet, until they were back outside. He let them off work early in the afternoon. He was concerned about Tim. He might be smarter than he looks, thought Bailey. Could suspect what I've got and want it. When everyone was gone and he was preparing to leave the boat, he unzipped the bag and brought out the box. Don't you dare say anything to anyone, he growled to Till and Jilin. Remember your friend Eric's arms and legs, Melville? I'll break them, make them jelly. Don't forget it. Dropping the box inside, he zipped the bag closed, picked it up, stepped off the boat, and started walking. Rather than dropping it off at home, he took it with him shopping and to the Blue Loon Saloon. Sitting alone, a Bailey's Irish cream in front of him, his thoughts were consumed by what he'd do. Now, with two prizes. Catching fish was fine, and was earning him a handsome living. He could have two boats and make even more but it was a pittance compared to what he really wanted, to be rich and never work again. These sprites, he thought, could do that for me. I'd make a mint showing them on television, distributing rights, selling licenses. His thoughts raced. He concocted ways of making them visible, coating them with powder, paste, glue, surrounding them with smoke or mist, shining a light behind them. Do they cast shadows? I'll find out tonight with a flashlight. You in a bad mood? asked an old acquaintance. You ain't talking to anybody tonight. Just making plans for fishing, said Bailey, smiling. And better things to come. Better than what you got? Yes, indeed. Eating supper slowly, Bailey remained deep in thought. Where there are two, there are three, or five, or many. I'll make mine tell me where they come from and snare a bunch. 
After dinner, he ordered several rum drinks, and his thoughts and plans ran rampant. Knowing all the patrons, he was tempted to celebrate and order drinks for the house, but he chided himself to keep his trap shut, and with effort, managed to do so. By the time he got home, he was too sleepy to get out the flashlight and check the Kieran's for shadows. I'll have plenty of time for that, he thought, putting the duffel bag down beside his bed. Then he flopped into bed, a hand on the bag. These sprites are mine. No one can take them away. And soon he was snoring. <laughs>